Well, if you would, imagine a a dark place. You're not conscious of your surroundings. It's just dark. And suddenly, things around you start pushing in. You don't know what it is. You just... You're just being pushed and shoved and things gotten a little bit tighter and, and you're squeezed and then there are these quick movements. Another push, another pull, and next thing somebody's grabbing you and you're pulled into a whole new atmosphere and you sort of gag and you try to catch your breath and then it comes that, that breath where you just cry. You're born. <laughs> That's what's happening, right? Now, none of us can testify to it because we don't remember it. But that's what was going on. That's how we entered this world. We were in a secluded, safe place for about an average of, what, nine months? And while we're in that dark place, first thing that happens is after nine months, we are thrust into this whole new world where we learn to breathe differently. We, we, we gasp for life and we become dependent for all things. We have to be fed. Somebody has to keep us warm. Somebody has to clean us up and change us to move us from spot to spot. We're so dependent upon other people, but then we learn to grow and we become a little bit more independent, learn a few things. But during that time, we're on this journey of life that includes pain and sorrow, but yet joy and peace as well, and love and heartache and feeling a sense of family, but then disunity. And it's an incredible journey, isn't it? This is life. And you know, and I don't know if you've ever seen these pictures before, but if you can imagine a, um, a road that leads in through the woods or down, and it's just it's sort of a beautiful scenery, and you see the road, and you're, you're told life is a journey, right? And you're on this road, and um, and we sit there and think, oh, inspiring. But uh, honestly, there's times this is what I feel like my road looks like. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like that's my life journey right there. You know, hey, caution, man, it's rough ahead. It really is. Detours, construction, accidents, a lot of orange cones, blinking lights. You know, we say there's, there's five seasons. Fall, winter, spring, summer, and construction, right? Now, if you're an athlete, you're like, no, it's fall, winter, spring, summer, and baseball. Um, but... Sometimes it feels like there's always work going on. And the question is, during this journey of life, as you're heading down this road, where's your focus at? Is it on the the potholes? Is it on the construction and the signs? Or are you able to glance every now and then off to the side and see the lilies and the flowers or the scenery and realize, wow, that's beautiful. As we were driving home last night, the sky was an incredible purple and orange, and it was just beautiful. And I think we've all been seeking the sun uh, for over a week, right? Um, but it was, it was really beautiful. Even though there was a few orange cones along the drive, I saw the orange sky. And the question is, as we journey through life, both the good and the bad, overwhelming and joyful, will we trust the words of Jesus on our journey? Well, we trust the words of Jesus. So today, as we dig into God's word, it's, it's just going to be just going to be two words that are going to come over and over. Is trust Jesus, trust Jesus. And I'm going to have to ask you at the end: Do you trust Him? In more ways than one. So grab your Bibles, if you would. Open up. We're going to be in the Book of John. 
No surprise, right? If you've been attending this church, we started in the book of John. I don't remember exactly. It was January, maybe. Um, and so we're going to be in John for quite a while. Every now and then we'll divert. But we're going to come back to it as we study through. I love going through a book of the Bible, and John's one of my favorites. Last week, um, Ryan Hollinsworth did a fantastic job of taking God's Word and sharing that with you. <clears throat> I'd asked him a few weeks out, knowing that I was... Not supposed to be exerting myself up front. Um, so I'd ask him, and he was um, more than glad to fill the pulpit. I love when Brian's up here. And uh, I asked him to, to get into John chapter 5. And um, But here's the thing. I'm not done with John chapter 4, okay? So I know I could have said, hey, could you cover this for me in John 4? But I wanted him to go ahead and hit John 5, because that's an important passage. But I'm going to revert back just a little bit to John chapter 4. So in your Bibles, if you would turn to John chapter 4. We're going to be verses 46 to 54, John chapter 4, verse 46. It says, at the end of two days, so that makes it what? Third day. Remember that, okay? At the end of two days, Jesus went on to Galilee. He himself had said that a prophet is not honored in his own hometown. Yet the Galileans welcomed him, for they had been in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration... And they had seen everything he did there. And as he traveled through Galilee, he came to Cana, where he had turned the water into wine. Remember that miracle that took place? That was probably February. There was a government official in nearby Capernaum whose son was very sick. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and he begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son, who was about to die. Jesus asked, will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? The official pleaded, Lord, please come now before my little boy dies. Then Jesus told him, go back home. Your son will live. And the man believed what Jesus said and he started home. And while the man was on his way home, some of his servants met him with the news that his son was alive and well. And he asked them, when the boy began to get better. And they replied, yesterday afternoon at one o'clock, his fever suddenly disappeared. Then the father realized that that was the very time Jesus had told him, your son will live. And he and his entire household believed in Jesus. And this was the second miraculous sign Jesus did in Galilee after coming from Judea. Now, as we look at this passage in the scripture, I want to look at a few things. And here's the first thing I would ask myself if I'm looking at this. Jesus was just with the woman at the well in Samaria. He had this large group of people that came out, the whole village, it says, came out to hang out with Jesus, to hear the words of Jesus, to surrender their lives to Jesus. Jesus probably got this sort of pop star feeling going on, this status right now, because Everybody's coming to him and they're looking at him and, and he's like, man, this is great, right? So why not stick around there for a few more days, maybe a week? Make a tour of it. Just hang out, right? Instead, he's like, mm, time to leave. It's been a few days. Time, time to, to head for the area of Galilee. And it's like, okay, that, first of all, I guess we need to leave, leave, right? But why Galilee? Why would you go there? And, and here's the thing we need to understand is we're looking at the book of John. There's three other books that talk about the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke. They're called the gospels. When you lay them out in chronological order, 
what's going to happen is we've been through John chapter 4 and we're getting to John 5, right? Well, what's happened though, there's a bunch of other stories that Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell about Jesus that actually took place before Jesus was even in Samaria. And so there's some things recorded in those books that give us a little insight to what was happening in this Galilee area. Because, you know, as Jesus said, a prophet is without honor in his own hometown. Like, nobody respects me back there where I came from. But here's the thing, I'm going there anyway. Well, why would he say all that? It doesn't make any sense. That's where Matthew, Mark, and Luke help us out. So let me give you an example. In the book of Luke chapter 4, Jesus had gone into the synagogue and he opened up the scroll and he read actually from the scriptures and then he sort of put it down and he goes, that's me. And they're like, what? That's blasphemy. You can't, you know. And they got all mad, right? And it says, jumping up, they mobbed him. They grabbed Jesus. They forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff, but he passed right through the crowd and he went on his way. And about that time, MC Hammer breaks out and going, can't touch us, right? Okay? That was Jesus, okay? Because he's like, you can't touch us. I'm, you know, push me off a cliff, go for it. It ain't going to happen. Jesus sort of walks away. So in this moment, think about this. Jesus goes, I'm going back to Galilee. And you think his disciples for one moment, cliff. <laughs> you remember the cliff, Jesus? You remember they were like mad, they mobbed you. and they're, you, We want to go back there? Oh, well, there seems to be a little more happier now. Things have changed now in Galilee. But what was that change all about? How did that come about? What did they see him do? Because it says in the scripture here in John 4, they saw him do something in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration that caused the welcome committee to show up now. What was it? Again, we look at other scripture. Matthew chapter 4 helps us understand this one. Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? News about him spread as far as Syria, and people soon began bringing to him all who were sick. And whatever their sickness or disease, or if they were demon-possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, he healed them all. Next two words, large crowds. Followed him wherever he went. People from Galilee, the ten towns, Jerusalem, from all over Judea and east of the Jordan River. See, news spread real quick about who this Jesus was. First they hated him, now they love him. And Jesus is like, guys, um, it's time to go back to Galilee. Okay, so they go back. And what does John tell us next? He went back to Cana, specifically this place, where what? They turned, Jesus turned to water to wine. The first miracle recorded. Well, now John says, this is going to be the second miracle that we're going to record. Okay, so our, our thoughts should be going, well, why are, why are we doing this? I believe the author, John, wants us to sort of put these miracles side by side and look at them together. So when we look at them together, here's what you're going to discover, both about these miracles. Both of them were third-day miracles. Both took place on the third day. We just celebrated an incredible resurrection day. Where, what happened on the third day? He rose, right? Here's another third day miracle that's going to take place. And then we also find that he rebukes the one asking for help. It was Mary in chapter 2 in Cana. And it was the official in this, in this passage, this story. We also see, here's another similarity. They were both performed from a distance. Jesus speaks the word 
and the water that was in those jars over there turned to wine. And the son, who is 20 miles away, is healed. Both miracles spoken from a distance. The servants possess a unique knowledge of them in both situations. The servants who grabbed the jars for the water, they saw the water had been turned to wine. The servants brought the message of the son back to the official saying, your son's been healed. Jesus involved other people in the miracle as well to bring the good news. Each were ended with people believing in Jesus. In the story of, of the water to wine, the disciples believed. In this story, it was the official and his whole family believed. Similarities in both, I believe John wants to see this, but he also wants us to see the difference. One was a wedding, and what was the other one going to be? It was soon to be what? A funeral. That's quite a difference, okay? Now, some of you know that when I dress up, it's usually for two occasions. If you see me in a suit and tie, it's usually for a wedding or a funeral, okay? And it, I mean, seriously, I've had people come up and say, oh, either you, somebody got buried or somebody got married. Which one happened? And I'll help you out on this one. If it's in the middle of the week, it's probably a funeral, okay? Most weddings are taking place on the weekend. But here's the thing. I might dress the same for, for both occasions, but here's the thing. I feel incredibly different in both situations. One, joy, and the other one, sorrow. I feel bad for the people getting married, and I'm happy for the person that's going to heaven. So <laughs> it's uh, sort of the way it works. So Not really, not really. I am thankful and blessed for the people getting married, and I pray the best for them. And I've gotten to do many of your ceremonies in here, which is truly an awesome honor. Um, but there is joy in the wedding, and there's sorrow in a funeral. But you know what? There's also sometimes in our funerals, there's, there's also joy in those funerals too, because those people that we know and love who have placed their faith in Christ, where are they at? In the presence of God. So we can find joy in a funeral. But there's still obviously a, a different emotion going on at, at both places. And, and when I look at this story, I'm reminded that the wedding, there was a lot of celebration, and here's a soon-to-be funeral. But Jesus says, do you not understand? You don't see this? I'm here for all of you. Whether it's a great moment in your life or whether it's a sorrowful moment in your life, I'm here for you. I'm here for the rich. I'm here for the poor. I'm here for the educated. I'm here for the uneducated. I'm here for you of whatever race or color you are. I'm here for all of you. Male, female, short, tall. Whether you're a musician or you're an athlete, whether you're a gamer or you're a book reader, I don't care whatever background you come from. I'm here for all of you. That's because Jesus is the Savior of the world. Not a community. Not one town. Not one group of people. But we all need Jesus. He's the Savior of the world. So, let's look at this government official. Who is he, right? What's your name, rank, serial number? Is what we'd ask him if he got caught. Well, we don't know his name. We know, though, he has a pretty high ranking. And we have to think about this. As a hive official he was, how humbling it must have been for him to go for help. I mean, he's, he's an official, worked probably under Herod. And he's going to go to a carpenter, the son of a carpenter, right? He was a high-level dignitary. He had authority to make decisions based on uh, behalf of Herod in regard to probably personal uh, fortunes which means he was highly educated. He was accustomed to managing great deals of money, uh, massive uh, sums of money. He most likely lived in an atmosphere of affluence and power. So he probably had all the answers, all the medicines he needed to give to his son to heal him from his fever. He probably tried everything he could. So here is this rich, affluent man who's probably got everything at his 
fingertips, but he's like, I've heard about this Jesus, this son of a carpenter. This, I'll go to him. It'd probably be humbling for him to lower himself down to go see Jesus, right? And here's the other thing. He's a man. Gentlemen, we know what we're like. We know that we are pretty much do-it-yourselfers, right? We know if there's something broken, something needs to be fixed, we are probably the you know first one to sit there and say, I can take care of this. I, I got it. I got it, right? And all the women out there are saying, yeah. so he says, right? And us men, at least I'll, I'll speak for me, and I will not speak on behalf of all of you because some of you are really good with tools, okay? I'm really good with duct tape, okay? <laughs> I tried. I was thinking duct tape would take care of this, but it won, but... What we think we can take care of, we'll put off till next week and maybe, well, I got this. I don't need to call anybody. I'll take care of it. And maybe it ends up being a week, you know, and then maybe a month, maybe a year, right? When we could have just called somebody else and they would have taken care of it in an hour, right? But maybe that's the way we are as men sometimes. And, and so here's this man who has everything at his fingertips and maybe thinks I can do it myself. He has to humble himself. And admit, I can't solve this. I can't fix this. So, despite his rank, despite his position, despite his riches, despite his power, he goes. And here's the thing we have to understand about this too is, no matter who you are, how much money you have, how much power you have, whatever position you have, you're not exempt from pain. We learned that from the story. From the highest to the lowest, from the richest to the poorest. Pain doesn't sit there and say, oh, well, you're pretty rich. Can't touch you, right? I, I won't mess with No. Sin, sickness, hits every level, every person. It doesn't matter. So disease finds its way into every level of society, even in the house of this official. And so how does he know about Jesus? To go to Jesus. Maybe he heard the news that was spreading. Maybe he heard about the wedding. Maybe he heard about some of those healings going on. He's like, maybe he can do it right. So regardless of how he, how he heard, he believes Jesus can do something. That's where it begins. When we get to our wits end, we finally realize in our lives, it's like, do you really believe that Jesus can do something in your life? That's where it's got to start. If you don't think he can do anything in your life, he probably won't because you're not asking but you've got to start somewhere. And it's with him. It's like, I think he can do something. And like many of us, his view of Jesus is limited. Think about this. His hope is limited. His desperation is there. It's sort of a last chance. I've tried everything else. He doesn't know that Jesus can heal from a distance. See, he walks. Actually, you know, I think he hurried his way. The short time it took for him to get 20 miles plus, he must have ran most of it. But when he gets to Jesus, he says, will you come with me back to my son? See, he's limited what Jesus can do. He's basically saying, you can only heal Jesus if you come with me and if you go to my son and be in his presence. He had in his own mind how Jesus would help. And I believe we're guilty of the same thing. A lot of us look in our lives and we're, we're sort of at our wits end. Like, I don't know. I don't, if God can do this, he's going to have to do it this way. And we basically put God in a box and say, hey, the only way God's going to take care of this is if he does it this way. And God's like, I can do it any way I want. 
You go back to the introduction, you think about what we talked about, that journey of life. As we're journeying, you know, we're bypassing, we're avoiding, you know, we're going through detours of life. And how do we find joy in the midst of all that detouring and that sorrow and those roughness, right? Jesus says, I've got a way. I've got a way. You just have to humbly seek me. You've got to humble yourself. You don't have all the answers. I do. You gotta find me. You gotta trust me. Trust me enough to know that I can operate in whatever way I want to operate. And sometimes that's our problem. We don't allow God to operate in the way He can operate. We gotta surrender our narrow thinking and think, well, this is probably the only way. No, no, no. God's got a way. And His ways are beyond our ways. His thoughts are beyond our thoughts. You know, I heard a recent. Uh, political candidate. He's got a very questionable lifestyle. It's very um, anti-biblical. But he told reporters concerning another candidate, he said, well, that man over there, who's a Christian, he just needs to approach Christianity different. And I heard him say that. Basically what he's saying is, the life I'm living is not very biblical, but I call myself a Christian, even though I'm not living like one. And that man over there who is a Christian, he just needs to approach Christianity differently and see that I can live for God this way too. When I heard that, I was thinking through and I said, see, that's our problem. We think we are in control and that we can approach Jesus however we want and make him fit to our lifestyle. We just got to approach Christianity differently. And Jesus says, no. When you approach me, you approach me on bended knee. If not one, make it two or just go face down. Because I'm in charge. I am God. We don't approach Christianity and take it to make it fit our lifestyle. Jesus says, it doesn't work that way. When you approach me, you're going to have to bend a knee and live the lifestyle that I'm challenging you to live, that I'm commanding you to live. And Jesus replies to this man who comes to him because he sees this man just like he sees the rest of the world trying to get Jesus to do it his way. And he looks at this man and he says, you look at verse, uh, boy, where is it? 48, 50, 49, where it says, Will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? Hey, you're looking at him, it's like, you won't believe unless you see something, right? We're always looking for that. We want to see visions and signs and wonders so that we can believe. And, you know, maybe we hear of an awesome spiritual revival or movement of the Spirit in some community. And we're like, man, I want revival here. And so we're like, Lord, give us that, that revival like you did over in that county. And we're praying for it. And, and uh, we gather to pray wanting that same thing. And the truth is, we should always be seeking that. We don't want to have to seek what somebody else already has. We want to seek something new, something fresh that God has for us. And we should be seeking that. Let him work in our souls and not dictate how he does it. Give us a revival like that county. Maybe God says, I don't want to give it to you like that county. I want to give you something better. But here we go to Jesus telling him how to do it. Trust first. That's what Jesus wants us to do. Just trust me. Believe me. Then you'll see it. Because see, we're the, we're the opposite. I'll see it when I believe it. Right? That's sort of the way it works. Seeing is believing, we say. Jesus says, hey, believe it, then you'll see it. Actually, he doesn't even say you'll see it. He just says, believe it. And I believe, though, we will see it. Whether if not tomorrow, it may be down the road. 
or maybe in eternity. But let's look at this this, this man's approach. Remember that um, man and God differ. It's like, Rex, you have to throw that in there? Of course we know man and God are different. Of course so. But we have to say that. Why is that? Man is broken. We're weak, right? We're imperfect. God is, well, he's, he's God. We don't operate the same way. But what we have to say that, because here's what happens. Jesus speaks as the Son of God, and we should believe it, because he said it. He is not man. He is the Son of God. If he was man, we would look at a person like anybody. You'd look at me, I'd look at you, and I'd say, well, I don't know if I believe that or not. We might question each other because we know we're capable of lying or stretching the truth, right? So we might question each other when somebody talks. But it's Jesus, the Son of God. The demons declare that Jesus is the Son of God. The demons declare that Jesus is the Son of God, so shouldn't we? And if he's the Son of God, he's not man. What he says is true and trustworthy. And I should be able to say, I trust it because it came from the lips of Jesus Christ. It came from the lips of man, so I might question it. But this is Jesus, not man. That's why I said we got to make sure we understand when we're looking at the scripture that this is God talking, not man. So this man pleads with him again. This time he, he's like, you know, save my son, save my son. Would you please? He's pleading with Jesus. So Jesus now looks at this man and he says, you can go. Your son will live. Isn't that awesome? That is really simple. I've got about like seven words for you. You may go. Your son will live. All right. So what does Jesus do? From 20 miles away, he turns down the temperature on that fever. From 20 plus miles away, Jesus like, it's gone. The fever's gone. You can go. Your son's going to be okay. You know, that story would have been so much more incredible to us a couple hundred years ago. Because today, in two seconds, I can talk to somebody on the other side of the world. I can call somebody in another state in a couple seconds. I can text. I can look at pictures. I can see something that's taking place just seconds away. In that instant, I can be FaceTiming or talking to somebody in the same way Jesus took away that fever. So we're like, yeah, whatever. Let's, let's keep in mind that just a hundred years ago, information traveled at the speed of ships and trains and horses. If we used a Pony Express, which traveled 75 miles a day on horseback, making a 2,000-mile trip from Missouri to California, it would have taken 10 days for my message to get to you. 10 days. And Jesus is like, he's healed. Boom, done. That story is incredible when we think this through, what Jesus did. And Jesus really severely tested this man's faith. Forcing this man, will you just believe my words? Jesus didn't say, watch this. You know, and so show the vision. It's like, you can go now. Your son will live. He didn't do anything. He just, words from the mouth of Jesus. You may go. Your son will live. The man was like, from what we understand when we look at the scriptures, uh, we're looking here, it's like the man's like, all right, I'm going. I mean, what's going through the mind of this father at this point? As a dad, I mean, if I was if I was in that moment and I'm at the feet of Jesus, I'm saying, just let my son live. And he goes, you can go. Your son will live. What I've asked, are you serious? Really? Um, game proof? 
will I keep begging and pleading? He got up and he walked away. Alexander uh, McLaren said this, uh, we must be content to go out of his presence with only his promise and to cling to that. A feeble faith needs something tangible and visible. A strong faith strides away from the master, happy and peaceful in its assured possession of a blessing based solely on Christ's word. Go back to your Bibles. Would you look in Scripture with me? Verse 51. It says that while the man was on his way, some of his servants met him and the news that his son was alive and well. And he asked them when the boy had begun to get better. And they replied, yesterday at 1 o'clock, the fever suddenly, it suddenly disappeared. 1 o'clock on the button. Then the father realized that was the very time that Jesus said, your son will live. He starts piecing his together. like, wow, that was the exact moment when Jesus said, your son will live. My son was healed. And think about this. While he's on his way home, he ran into these servants. The royal official believed it before the evidence ever got to him. You can imagine how beautiful that news was when they found out it was at the very same time that Jesus had said what he said. It made it even more awesome, right? And according to the servants, they said this. It happened yesterday afternoon at 1 o'clock. Can that bring just sort of another highlight to the scripture here? Is that... It was 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and he's got a 20-mile trek plus home. He probably could have left at 1 o'clock when Jesus said, your son will live. And he probably could have gone home and got home that night. But he didn't. He said, you know what? I'm exhausted. I ran here. I'm just going to take a break. I, tr- I trust what he said. My son will live. So he gets up leisurely the next morning and starts heading home. And as he's heading home, he runs into the servants. Think that through. He was at peace. I mean, he trusted Jesus, even though he didn't see the evidence yet. Pretty amazing thing. Pretty amazing thing. So I want to ask you a question, because here's the thing. Whenever I go through Scripture and, and I present, uh, prepare a message for you, I've got to ask myself these same questions, okay, in all fairness. So here's a question I ask myself, and i got to ask you. How are you doing with trusting Jesus? Do you trust him? Think through your, your, your burdens, your, your struggles, your, your pains, the things that you're going on in your life right now that you've asked God to answer. Do you trust him? Even though you haven't seen the answer yet? Maybe you haven't seen the evidence. Do you trust him? A lot of times when somebody calls me or sends me a text or an email and they're struggling with something like this, and I say, hey, here's some go-to scripture. And for some of you, you already know what it is. It's Philippians 4, 6 to 8. And it's also 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. But Philippians 4, 6 to 8 says this. Don't worry about anything. But pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Present your request to Him. Thank Him. And the God of peace, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts. Find them, my brothers. Think on these things. That which is pure, lovely, excellent, admirable, praiseworthy. That was true and noble and right. These are the things we're supposed to focus on. God's word says, are you having a hard time trusting me right now? Then stop worrying about it. Start praying and just start talking about it. 1 Thessalonians uh, 5, 16, 18 says this. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. In all things, in all circumstances, give thanks. It didn't say be thankful for all the circumstances. It says in those circumstances, 
give thanks. Even in the midst of that moment when that father's walking or running to go get to Jesus, in that circumstances, in that circumstance, I'm sure he could find a reason to give thanks. In the midst of our pain, I'm sure we can find a reason to give thanks. I'm not thankful for that circumstance, but in that circumstance, I will, I will pray. I will always be joyful. I'll never stop praying. And scripture helps us during those moments. So let me ask you this. Do you trust God to work it out in the end? We may not see the result, but God already does. I told you this before. It's like a box of puzzle pieces, like a thousand puzzle pieces. And we pull them out, all these pieces in there. It's like, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't know how these are going to fit together. But God's like got the box covered. He's like, I've seen the picture already. It's going to be awesome. Your life is going to be putting those pieces together. But at the end, this is what it looks like. Just trust me. Just trust me. Realize that in the moment when you're seeking God's help, um, it may not be about the person that you're seeking help for. When I look at this story, um, it sort of hit me a couple weeks ago when I was studying that what if this miracle was for the father and not so much for the son? I mean, healing the son had value and worth, right? We all want our kids to be okay. We all want our children to be healthy. We, we want our situation to be better, right? But could it be that it was more important to train the father to have faith in Jesus? The father came to Jesus asking and seeking help for his son, but Jesus wanted to do it in his time and do actually more. So many people chase after God for what he can do instead of who he is. And maybe that was part of the story. Jesus, if you could just, if you could just, if you could just. And Jesus like, if I could just, well, I can do anything. Y'all chase after me because you think I can heal you and give you wealth and give you power and, and make your life so much better. It, listen, you're chasing after me for the wrong reason. You should chase after me because I am love, I am grace, I am truth. See, we chase after God for the wrong reasons. We seek God out like he can help us with everything, but it's like we should just be seeking God because he's God. Full of grace, full of truth, full of mercy, almighty and powerful. We want God to bless us in every way, but we miss the truth that maybe God just wants to shower us with his awe. I'm going to ask uh, Steve Myers to come up here right now. As we're focusing on the scripture about what it means to trust Jesus, some of us like, okay, I'm trying to trust Jesus, I'm trying to trust Jesus, but I'm, I'm not sure where my journey, come on up, Steve, I'm not sure where my journey's going. Steve's been on a, a, a journey, and he's still sort of questioning, all right, God, you got something for me, so he's trusting Jesus right now uh, with something that's going on in his life, and, and we just want to fill you in on it so you know what's happening. So if you could introduce yourself to everybody so everybody knows who you are. Hi, I'm, uh, I'm Steve Myers, and uh, I've been going through some stuff here lately. Um, about, a, about a year ago, January, I, uh, I had a heart attack. Um, sent me to the hospital, did some tests, told me I was going to have to have open heart surgery, a triple bypass. So I uh, was really scared, 
Yeah. And and you survived it. And came I, home. Yeah. But the important thing that happened after that was your time with God then. I uh yes, my my sister had been trying to get me to come to church for quite a while and and uh after all this happened I I started praying on it. And uh Decided it was time for me to ask God for forgiveness for everything, and I got baptized. Yeah. Some um, of you might remember the baptismal up last year, and Steve had just gone through that surgery. He just confessed with his mouth, believed in the heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. He got saved, and he's like, "I got to get baptized." And remember, you still had the you still had the port. Still had it. Yeah, so we could that. we couldn't dunk you under the water. Right. So we poured water over your head. Yeah. And, I yeah. felt bad because I think Landon poured sort of slow. It was almost like that Chinese yeah, uh, torture. Like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was, yeah, we've corrected that one. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow. Um, you got baptized. I got baptized. Then and, what happened? And it was, and, and, and life was going really good. And it, um, then uh, a couple of weeks ago on um, April 13th, it was a Saturday afternoon. Just, you know, like any other day. I'd gotten up, uh, went to work. I worked at the car wash there more by McDonald's and did my morning shift. Was getting ready to, to go back in the afternoon shift. And I was at home eating lunch. And a buddy of mine had borrowed my truck, and so he had just brought it back. I was talking to him. Next thing, it was Wednesday. Um... Apparently, this was about 1 o'clock in the afternoon. My wife got home at 3 o'clock, and she found me on the floor convulsing. And uh, apparently I'd been there for, well, who knows? Only only God knows how long I was there. Um, It could have been one hour, two hours. I I don't know. Um. But I woke up and, uh, at St. Beast uh, four days later. And they started questioning you right away, didn't they? And they and they started questioning me. They asked me what year it was. I, at first I said I couldn't, all I could spit out was 2009. And she goes, you mean 19? And I smiled and said, yep. <laughs> Good answer. And then uh, they asked me, they asked me who the president of the United States was, and I looked up at him. I said, "That blonde-haired dude." <laughs> no good answer. You and, said uh, um, you said that um, with like with your father. You said that you had a phrase. One minute, then I'll let you finish what yeah, you were saying. Yeah, um, it's it is really <clears throat> amazing that. You know, you've always heard that, you know, that you're here one minute and gone the next. Um, I found out that is true. I mean, I was just like I am right now. You know, I was talking to a buddy of mine just like I'm talking to you, and next thing I know, it's Wednesday. I mean, I was down and I was out, and I didn't have time to ask God to say, oh, you know, it's time, it's, I guess I better ask forgiveness now before it's too late. Because it was, it was already too late. Um, so that I'm so grateful that. And your father? 
And happened? my dad, he was he was 48 years old, and he had a heart attack and dropped and walked into the hospital, but never walked out. He never got a second chance. But you've gotten a second chance and a, a third. third chance, and you know you said that you got a cat with nine lives. We're not going to press it. Yeah. <laughs> You, you basically, as we've had our conversation, talked about how, you know, life is short and you're ready and you're just saying like, all right, God, why, why am I still here? I, that's something that I ask myself and I ask God every day, you know, what is your purpose for me? It's, you've got to have a purpose because somebody, you know, doesn't go through what I'm going through for no reason. There's got to there's gotta be a reason why I'm still here. And if it's to just to, to spread the message, then so be it. But so we know this. Both you and I are the same and that we both believe uh, in, in God and His Son, Jesus Christ. And we will both mess up and make mistakes in our lives. But our, our, our life journeys probably have different paths. But God's got a purpose for all of us, and we believe that. And so I wanted Steve to share this with you um, because God's given him some multiple chances here. And so what Steve is doing right now is trusting Jesus for his next step. And wanted him to share that with you and, and encourage you all today. Hey, life is short. Are you all ready? Are, are you ready? Have you confessed with your mouth? Have you believed in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord? Have you trusted him? If not, today would be a great day to do that. And for those of you who have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, what is he asking you to do with that faith? Are you trusting him to be obedient? So thank you, Steve. Appreciate it. Thank you. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. As the worship team's coming up, I, I uh, want you to think about this. Would you, would you go ahead and stand with me, please, as they're coming up? I know trusting Jesus can sound scary at times, right? Sometimes you just got to do it. I, I have no, I, I didn't know this. I had asked myself this question. I had to do the research about who invented bungee jumping. Did you ever think about that? Who was the first person to ever bungee jump? Now, if you know what bungee jumping is, um, I'll give you a quick picture. It's basically you're on a high platform or you're up somewhere really high with this elastic uh, rope, either, uh, usually tied around uh, your, your, your feet and waist, whatever, and then you, you, you jump and you go down like a rubber band, you sort of spring up a few times and then you stop and then they lower you onto whatever it may be. Um, and, and I'm thinking, who invented that? Right? So I, you know, the first time they do it, did it snap? Did they use a rope? What did they use? Did, did they measure it correctly? In the, for expansion, you, you just sort of wonder these things. So I looked up and did some research, and, and I'm not going to share that with you. We're short on time, but I, I, I remember the first time I went bungee jumping, and I was at that platform, and I'm watching all these people in front of me, and they were, everyone was the same. They get up to the edge, and they were so scared, and they're like, I can't do it, I can't do it. And everyone was just on that edge, right? And like, I don't know if I could, I, I can't do it. And, but then they would jump, and then they, you know, you'd look down there, and they're Faces were so lit up. They were smiling. They were like an eight-year-old at the Chuck E. Cheese party. You know, it was like, this is awesome, right? And I'm thinking, I, I want that, you know? But then I'm tied up and I'm ready to go. And I'm thinking, I don't know if I want that, you know? Because then I'm, I'm, fear steps in, right? 
I don't know if I can trust this. I'm a lot heavier than that last person that went that, you know, and you started using excuses. And I jumped and it was pretty awesome. Right? I think trust in Jesus is the same way. We sort of get up there and he's calling us to do something and we're like, I don't know. I like what I see when, you know, somebody else is standing up front and they're sharing their testimony and that's exciting, but I don't know if I can do that. I really want that, but I don't know if I can do that. And I'm going to say, yes, you can. You can. Just trust him. Trust him. He is worthy of our trust. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we cannot do this life on our own. We can't. It's, it's too challenging at times. And like that uh, official who came to Jesus, he ran in desperation, but he walked in peace afterwards. God, that's what we want. We run to you in our desperation. We, we say, God, help us. And what you say to us is, why don't you just trust me? Just trust me. I'm going to give you some instructions and you might think it's crazy. I might tell you to do something you might think it's weird. I might challenge you to go in a way that you never thought existed. Just trust me. So God, right now I ask that you just speak to this church and what is it that we're supposed to do? Help us, Lord, whatever it is, to trust you. Whether it's to place our faith in you for the first time, to confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ, Lord, right now we confess our sins to you. We ask you to come into our life and be the Lord of our life. Forgive us, Lord. Heal us, Lord. Save us. And we know you're faithful to do that. And maybe it's something else that you're asking us to do, so help us to be faithful to that, God. Help us to hear what it is and to trust you. Step off that edge and trust you. You got us. We believe it. Lord, we pray now all these things in your name and we want to sing to you because you are worthy to be sung to. We love you, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray this. Amen.